Hello, lovely humans. This is another bonus episode, episode two of Sex at Work with the incredible Mistress Venus. They are truly fucking awesome. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Sex at Work feed as well as this one. You can also type in Y-O-W-Y-O-H if it doesn't come up right away. And I also just made a little magazine style mission update to celebrate the end of September and the launch of Sex at Work. And because I want to get better at communicating to you guys the fact that, like, I actually am in the process of figuring out how I'm going to train to become a dominatrix specifically, but I'm starting to gather resources for the playship mission and the sex stories road trip. So go to wildly.com slash lovers and go take a look. Before we dive in, a big, huge thank you to BetterHelp. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash sex stories. Therapy is awesome. Please go check it out. That is betterhelp.com slash sex stories. Now, some sex at work. Hey lovers, I'm Wiley, and welcome to Sex at Work, a podcast of sexy work details from people whose profession is sex-related in some way, shape, or form, even if it was just a secret coworker quickie in the keg room after the bar closed that one time. All of this in an effort to understand how sex-related industries shape or could shape our personal sex lives. Today's guest is a hands-on, privates-on sex worker. They are the real deal and are a literal fucking delight. They're a true inspiration for my own dom self and the future mobile dungeon playship sex stories slash now also sex at work road trip because think of how awesome it'll be to go around recording your stories in the playship, partaking in transformative photo shoots or whatever sort of creative exploration you're feeling up for. And of course, I'd have to stop at as many fun sex-related workplaces along the way as I possibly can. If you'd like to help make this mission a reality, visit mission69.org. Unless explicitly stated otherwise, these are not branded partnerships. This is my attempt to understand mainstream thinking about sexual norms and its research for Mission 69 because I want to highlight and learn from brands and people who seem cool. Or I also want to understand people who have different ideas from myself but are on their own missions to make the world a sexier place. But that's not this episode. As always, please keep all sexy thoughts about myself and our guest to yourself and enjoy. Our guest today is Mistress Venus, a dominant femme non-binary human from Adelaide, Australia, by day getting their masters and by night an FSSW, which means full-service sex worker, working as a pro-dom, dungeon master, and host of the podcast What the Kink. They are polyamorous, bisexual, queer, and dominant through and through, very kinky. Welcome, Mistress Venus. Oh my god, I can't believe that I'm here and this is a thing. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited that you're here. Can you please start off by telling us, when you think about the work that you do, what would you say your definition of sexy is? Well, I guess it depends what sector of my work. If you look at full-service sex work, what sexy is is what sells. And what sells is what we're told sells. Like, sexy is... It's capitalist. And <laughs> like I could get super political on this, but the way that we've sold sex to each other and we've been taught that we need to buy sex in a certain way really structures what sexy means to me when I'm working. And it's a very different definition to when I'm in my private life because I've spent a lot of time breaking out of what sexy is in a normal space. Can you contrast those two for us and maybe give a couple examples of like something that is sexy at work that is not your personal definition of sexy? Ooh, or is that bad for business to tell that? that I don't give a shit if it's bad for business. I, this is the thing that's really important to me is that I've worked in this space a little while now and I will not compromise at all on who I am 
in order to sell what I sell. I think I break out of a lot of the sex worker stereotype in that way, in that for a lot of what I do, I'm not interested in all at adhering to that societal norm of sexy. But like I work as a full service sex worker. I work at a brothel. And interesting to note that that is not decriminalized in my state. Okay. So it is something that I do that is risky, legally speaking. When I'm at work, I use she, her pronouns. I have long blonde hair. I wear matching lingerie and I speak softly because that is what I've been taught that men like to hear. And at the end of the day, all people in some way, well, not all people, most people in some way engage with sex in the industry, whether it be through, you know, porn and sex work or just literally the way that we dress and present ourselves. In full-service sex work, the vast majority of clientele are cis men. Mm. And I create an archetype of myself that sells in that space. And I don't adhere to that outside of there. So, you know, as you mentioned, I do a lot of different bits in sex work. When I'm running pro-dom, even then, I'm not fully me. I'm not the Venus that I am in my personal life. So my pro-dom persona, the Mistress Venus that I love personifying, she's still me. And But again, she's a she mm. because there's a lot of issues around gender neutral pronouns and, you know, the existence of non-binary people within the sex industry. So when I'm being Mistress Venus, I have a different demeanor in that I'm not softly spoken and romantic in the same way that I am in full service sex work, Mm. but I am still hyper feminine and I am still a certain archetype that I know is most palatable to the kind of clientele that bring on. And it changes through time. So when I'm first meeting a client who wants to do ongoing dom work with me, I am that more soft-spoken kind way because that is the safest bet because that's what sells in your vanilla quote-unquote industry mm-hmm. and that's what's most likely to carry through but then it gets a little harsher you know as you you know build clientele and build a trust and then in my real life where my work as a dm and a play party host and my work as a podcast host and my work is just literally it's not work but my lifestyle as a 24 7 lifestyle bdsm player that I really get to be the true version of myself. And that's when we show a lot more vulnerability into what sexy is. To me, I got ridiculously turned on talking to my partner earlier because we were openly communicating about boundaries. And, you know, we are talking about a really intense scene, which I'll tell you about at some point because I have a feeling it's going to be your vibe. And me sitting down and being like, well, actually, here's the legalities of what we need to consider and here's the mental health impact that we could have. And he was really open with me about what that would be like. And that was sexy. Fuck yeah. In a way that in my work would just be considered strange. Okay. Is there a part of your sex work sexy that is still fun for you? Like, how does it feel to be working as a she, her? Is there like fun fuckery for that? Or does it feel like you're like, oh, I'm selling the thing? Or how how do you alchemize it in your heart and body and worker person self? Yeah, no, look, it's, it's an interesting one. And it's empowering in some ways in that I feel in control of the archetype that I'm presenting. And that 
my femininity is being used to benefit me, even if it's being perceived as benefiting others. You know, I'm selling my body, quote unquote, but I'm doing that off my own back. And I'm doing that because I feel passionate about sex work. I feel a very different brand of sexy. It's sexy, but it's the sexy that I've been taught to put out. I grew up in a very conservative binary household like everybody in my generation and the generation below and to a vast degree the generation above, I was exposed to a lot of media growing up about what sexy can look like. Magazines shouting at me about, you know, losing weight and my figure and what men want. And to dive right into it, you know, I didn't receive a lot of male validation when I was younger, specifically from my father. You know, there was no approval of who I was as a person. Mm. So now being able to embrace my sexuality, as it were, and my identity and sell that, even if it is archetypal, gives me back a lot of control about the way that men perceive me. And my therapist has a field day with that. Fuck yeah. Yay, therapy. Okay, so we've established that you identify as a sex worker per your intro. How do you define sex worker? Where do you think the lines are? I think it's pretty similar to, you know, sexualities and stuff where there are certainly ways for you to label yourself, but it's a self-definition thing. Looking at my definition of what sex work is, if you're selling nudes, you're profiting from the sex industry, you're a sex worker. I never thought of it that way. I was like, I'm creating beautiful art with all of my body. And like, of course, the people who are buying it are getting off on it. But I didn't yeah. think about it specifically at first well, for a while. Well, you say that the people who buy it are getting off on it. That's important to say. So if you have artistic nudes taken and they're put into an art gallery, are you a sex worker? Right. Probably not. But if somebody's getting off to that and they've specifically paid for it on the intention and knowledge of getting off to that, then it's sex work. But then we don't have that full disclosure where we talk about you know, what the reason that we sell content like that. We live in an era where OnlyFans and similar online work has become really popular under the pandemic and everything. And a lot of people in that space don't consider themselves sex workers. They don't consider themselves in the sex industry at all unless they're doing something physically in person. But I think if that's what helps you sleep, if you don't want to consider yourself a sex worker, you don't have to. And that's completely valid. But at the end of the day, If you are selling something with the intention of sexual desire or profiting from something with the intention of sexual desire off your own back voluntarily, I feel that that's sex work, you know? It's just so interesting to me because I didn't even start exploring sexier poses until this past year. Like, I actually just thought that I was, like, being in my body and, like, being a being and just showing that without doing anything, I could still be a bald female form Mm -hmm. and still be palatable. And in my mind, the work that I do with the podcast Sex Stories is more sex work because I'm actually sharing my personal explicit sexual details, but I didn't make money off of that for a long, long time. And it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. hodgepodge. So I just think it's such an interesting part of the conversation because like I'm a sex worker. If someone wants to call me a sex worker, I don't really, it's not my main identity. Yeah. Podcast definitely blows the lines at the end of the day, like talking about whether or not I'm a sex worker because I do what the kink. I was a sex worker before I did What the Kink. One of the topics that we talk about most readily on there is sex work and the different forms that it comes in. But does having that discussion on open-air media 
in and of itself equate to sex work? I don't know. And it's much in the same way, you know, I've had a friend recently come to me and say that they are exploring demisexuality and they wanted me to tell them what it means to be demi. And I can't because it's you that needs to work out what that identity means to you. Yeah. It's the same with gender. You know, I've got some friends who identify as female, but like they don't adhere to what it means to be female. Whereas I feel the same way. And that Mm. meant for me that I was non-binary. Yeah. And like, what does it mean to be female? I think it is different to a lot of different people and you can get a jillion different answers depending on who you ask. Yeah. Okay. What I would like to know is how do you feel about being a sex worker? What's it like to do the work that you do? Tell us the sexiest parts, your favorite parts, the things that led you to this calling and whatever else you care to share. Look, I could talk for hours and hours about how much I love being a sex worker. Now, I've engaged in a lot of different levels of sex work. I've done exotic dancing, stripping. I've done the full service sex work. I've done pro-dom. And all of it empowers me and makes me feel good. Now, I think there's there's something that's really important to talk about when we look at the sex industry, especially for full service sex workers and escorts, hookers, prostitutes, call girls, working girls, whatever you want to call it, that there is marginalization of certain groups that trafficking and drug abuse and abuse in general is a thing and that some people are not in this field voluntarily and I like to acknowledge that straight up when I talk about how much I love what I do because if I ignore that then I'm doing a disservice to the people that are in that space I however have a day job and I make plenty of income from that I have a degree and I'm soon to have a master's I don't have to be a sex worker. I don't get up in the morning and go, oh, my God, I need to make money somehow. I mean, I do because I have a shopping addiction, but that's a different problem. <laughs> like, Sure, sure. I don't get up in the morning going, oh, my God, like I need, I need to do sex work and I wish I didn't have to. I do it because I love it and I love the control that it gives me. And I love the societal benefits. Now, this is something that I love to have discourse about both in my daily life, on my podcast, and even to clients who are trapped with me and I talk their ear off, about the social benefits of sex work. And we understand that, you know, the oldest profession, this has been around for a really, really long time. And there's a reason for that. And it's because humans do have this primal desire for sex. However, we struggle to form emotional connections and the way that the world moves now, it moves so fast that it's sometimes difficult to engage with sex in the way that we want to. And so we have built up an industry and created a capitalist society that predominantly focuses on sex. And that is not just for escorts and strippers. It is for the clothes that you buy. It is the makeup that you wear. What you drink what you drink, what aftershave you put on. It's everything. We've created this because it's a primal base part of being human. You know, it's something that we have in common with all other animals in the animal kingdom is that we mate, we have sex. And so I find it very interesting that there's still such a taboo attached to it because I am catering to an industry that has been there a very long time and I feel that I'm doing a very good job of providing a safe place for people to engage with that. And look, I'm not going to pretend to be the expert here on this, but in countries where sex work has been legalised, not just decriminalised, but legalised under you know the Nordic system or whatever it is that you want to bring into place, rates of things like sexual assault and human trafficking 
are lower. Yep. Now, we can't prove that that is causation, not correlation, you know, whatever. But to me, it just reeks of positivity. It says, hang on, if we regulate this, if we create a safe space for people to engage with that, we cut down on them unsafely engaging with that. Yes. And that's why I do what I do. Not because I've got no other choice. Not because I'm addicted to the money, though the money can be nice. Mm -hmm. It's because I believe that it is a social service that is important to the structure of society and will continue to become more important over the coming years. Yeah. How did you get into it? What did you start with? So here's my story. I grew up in a conservative household with a family that found sex repulsive Mm. and I never felt that way about it. I've never been one that responded well to being told to feel a certain way so I have no contact with my family now and I think that's prudent in that I was never able to adhere to their ideas of what sex should be and that's just my personality type I'm incredibly bold and strong and you know if my personality had a color it'd be blood red because you can't fucking ignore that for a while I did adhere to what my family thought would be right because you know it's a big scary world and it was some sort of direction So I moved out at 18 and I got married to a man at 20 and I bought a house and we were monogamous and vanilla and I was in this little structure of what society, my parents, the world had told me was good and like approval based and it started to break me down deep inside myself. I was like, this isn't me. I didn't know what me was yet but I knew that this wasn't it. This cookie cutter, 2.3 children stocks and settling down wasn't it. Now I want to give credit to my ex-husband. He is a wonderful, wonderful man, Mm. but he is incredibly vanilla and incredibly monogamous and quite conservative. And when I came to him saying, look, something's missing and I think it's sex, that was hard for him. And valid that that was hard for him. It was a shock. He'd married this girl with long red hair and big boobies and you know the cookie cutter that I was and now she was coming to him saying let's date other people and can I tie you up and it's (laughs) it's pretty shocking and I didn't you know I have a lot of respect for him for dealing with it in the way that he did I moved into BDSM first Mm. because I had had some exposure as a teenager to BDSM through a kinky aunt and uncle I knew were in the scene and I knew that they were poly and, you know, I sat down with my aunt who's the non-blood relative out of that couple and I was like, look, something's going on here, Sarah. Like I need to, I need to know what's going on. She was like, she talked me through, you know, where to get started in the world and that was when we first started having the discussion about the sex industry because at that time I was considering stripping. Okay. I was 21 when I first started engaging in what I would consider sex work. Okay. And at that time, it was sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships. So I was on a website called Seeking Arrangement. Mm -hmm. I was meeting older men and getting rewarded for company, sex, conversation, all of that kind of thing. And I found the emotional labor of that absolutely exhausting. Okay. And that's kind of prudent to where I end up going from here. So I was doing that when I was still with my ex-husband and he was aware of it, but clearly dramatically uncomfortable Hmm. and I didn't feel that that was fair so I left and it was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do to sit down with him and say look I love you and you love me but this isn't fair on either of us because I am pushing you so 
far out of your comfort zone and you're holding me so far back from mine. And if we continue to try and meet in the middle, we will just grow to resent each other. And that's miserable. Yep. And it was painful, but it was what I needed to do. And I left that and dove straight into polyamory, straight into sex work and straight into the me that I am today. Okay. This was pre-COVID, so... I'm trying to like connect the dots. It feels like a different world. Yeah, it was. It it was. And it's never going to be the same again. So this was beginning of 2020 when I was really calling the shots. And that was when I started advertising as a full service sex worker. I can't tell you for sure what it was that made me decide to start doing that. I had a couple of friends who dabbled in the industry, mostly, again, through the sugar daddy, sugar baby style thing. Mm -hmm. But I was predominantly advertising as a dominant. I still identified as female at this point and I was just out there saying, hi, femdom full service, you know, kind of edging that bet between pro-dom and sex worker. And here's my horror story. Somebody in my personal life and to this day, I do not know who, but it has to be somebody very close to me for it to have happened how it did, found my FetLife profile, which linked to my escort and Pornhub profiles where I was also making porn and stuff. They printed everything out. They circled my tattoos. They blew up my face and they put it in my parents' letterbox. What the fuck? Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause. So I had a pretty fantastic family raise me, not to brag, but they're pretty great. And it doesn't matter. I'm a human. There is still suffering. And I get all swizzled in human dumb sometimes because I have an amygdala and I get triggered. And the world we live in today makes it so that we have to work pretty freaking hard to make choices that don't destroy us. Good news. BetterHelp is making it easier than ever to connect with a therapist that is right for you. And I find this very, very, very in line with a sex story's mission to make the world a sexier, more loving place. You see, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment, so it's super convenient. And you get to start communicating in under 48 hours. You know I am impatient, so I think that's awesome. And it's all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can sit right here on your couch. Well, you can't sit right here on, this is my couch, but you can sit on your own couch or or whatever cozy floor spot you like. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. It's available worldwide and offers a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. I've spoken to many of you who tell me that, you know, in the same way that you can't like go to the local sex shop because you don't want to get recognized, There's some awkwardness when it comes to therapy and getting support. So this is a great solution for that. It is convenient. It's professional. And then anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is not a crisis or self-help line. It's professional counseling, which means you can schedule weekly or video phone sessions and send a message to your counselor at any time. I have used BetterHelp. I love it. You know, even if you are a person who, like me, already has a therapist with a working relationship, but then sometimes, you know, your therapist goes on maternity leave because that's a great thing to do. And you're like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? Because journaling only gets you so far. BetterHelp is perfect for situations like that. Or if you just have never tried therapy, it can be so overwhelming to make that initial connection, especially when you are in one of the more bureaucratic healthcare systems. They can be really, really tough to navigate. BetterHelp was easy. BetterHelp was fast. I got lucky and got matched with a therapist that clicked with right away. So I didn't even have to use the feature that makes it really easy to switch. But if you're feeling like you could use some support, and I think most of us are in a place where we totally could at this point, please go check it out. Therapy is for everyone. It's great. And it also just is a great way to just practice your creativity. Like it's a place where that person is just supposed to meet you with approval. 
And so even if you, and I have definitely used a therapy session or two to like work out some plot lines and to also like uncover how they interact with, intersect with my life. Start living a life where you feel supported today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash sex stories. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That is betterhelp.com slash sex stories for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. Back to Mistress Venus. Yeah, that's a thing that happens. And it has to be somebody who was close to me because I haven't lived with my parents since I was 18. And they address them by name saying, look, your daughter has gone off the rails. They need help. I got an email from my father and it was basically like, look, the choices you're making are disgusting. Oh, shit. I cannot continue to call you my daughter if you're going to keep doing this. I knew this was coming when you left your ex-husband. So you need to come back to us. Come move back in at home and be with your real family because I call my close friends my family now and I was even back then and he said the people that you call your family don't love you nobody ever could knowing what you are oh and if you continue down this path you will end up dead in a gutter riddled with STIs and everybody in your family will die disappointed in you what an invitation and this was in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic so we're talking 12-18 months ago It was a scary time, but that was when I decided that if the watered-down version of myself that they were seeing was still too much, then it wasn't going to work. Yeah. And that relationship wasn't going to work. I couldn't continue to foster that. So I bounced back really, really quickly from that. That was when I started my podcast. What the Kink was born about a year ago in like June or July-ish of 2020, and it was a way of me coping with marginalization from my own way of life I was able to take back control of the way that my identity was being perceived by the outside world and I wanted to make something of that so I wanted to create a space where I could not only do what I wanted to do but I could make it a safe place to discuss it with other people I feel that a lot of the stigma attached to BDSM sex work non-monogamy all of it comes from a lack of conversation. I think, you know, we have things like Fifty Shades of Grey out here telling us that BDSM, yeah, don't get me started. I have an episode of that. Everybody should go check out my podcast once you finish absolutely subscribing to this one. My editor is a media studies major and we did a double, a two-part episode on how fucked up Fifty Shades of Grey is for representing us. Yeah. And I wanted to create a space where we could actually talk about it from people who are normal. And I don't like the word normal. So I'm using air quotes for those listening on a audio media from a voice that is more palatable to the general public. And that's been really important to me in my journey is that, you know, I've got vanilla people, vanilla people, normies, people, you know, people who don't engage with yeah. any of this, who listen to my podcast because they are interested to see how I live yeah. and they want to learn it in a safe way that doesn't expose them too much. It got more intense and better from there. It was around then as well that I stopped working independently and started working in a brothel. And that personally has been the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. I mentioned before looking at like sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships, that the emotional labor 
that comes with that is exhausting. You know, vetting clients, organizing things, managing my own safety, working out where to meet people, getting my time wasted non-fucking-stop. Yeah. And then the opportunity arose because I was dating a girl at the time who was working in a very reputable brothel here in my city for me to get a job there. And I was like, yeah, we'll give it a crack. And it has been life-changing because sex work has become something where I just get to do the job and I don't get to do the admin. Beautiful. I've become more and more kinky over that period too. So I went from being like a light, a dom light to like trigger warning. Last night I sat down with my submissive and we talked in detail about me getting a gun license for the purpose of sex. And it was funny because my housemate came in and I was like, I'm going to get a gun license. And she's like, no. And I was like, it's not what you think. It's for sex. What? Are, wait, what are, what's the thought? Can you tell us the kinky thing? What does a gun do? Does it penetrate? What does a gun do? Putting in a trigger warning for gunplay, for fear play, for CNC and sexual assault and rape. So it's pretty intense. Yeah. My submissive and I are booking a acreage in the middle of nowhere. I am acquiring a gel blaster gun. So you do need a license to have those here in South Australia. It's similar to a paintball gun. Mm-hmm. He has five minutes head start. Somewhere on the property, I have hidden a key to the house. If he can find the key before I find him, he's safe. He gets in the house. If he does not, and we've got like rules yeah, where yeah. if he gets shot, he needs to consider that he has been shot. Yeah. That you're down. Yeah. You're down. If you get shot in the leg, that leg doesn't work anymore. And that when I get him, that I will absolutely torture and rape him. So my question is authorities. What do you do? Like, what if somebody happens by, like, what's your like outside safety net? Like, do you have a note on your car that's like, hey, just in case you're a passerby, here's what's happening? Like, what do you do? Yeah, well, the point of booking a property is that we're booking in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. My partner and I also have a standard written contract for our arrangement because it's a 24-7 dynamic. Okay. And for scenes like this where it's pretty fucking intense and there are some illegal elements, because yeah. I'm not legally, even if I get my license to own this gun, I'm not legally allowed to use it outside of a range. So I, I cannot be shooting at my submissive. Sure, sure. But we will have specific literature written and signed to that. Now, okay. I won't get into too deeply how not legally binding BDSM contracts are and how you can't consent to certain things and whatever else, but it's just a little bit of an extra layer. Yeah. And that's something that we both passionately enjoy. Okay. And we consent to it and it gets him hard and it gets me wet and it is what it is. And we, I used to question that and I don't anymore because now I'm like, I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm not hurting anybody that doesn't want to be hurt. And it's really freeing for me being in that space. In your line of work, how do you hold the boundary between professional and personal? And is that partner, is that a client partner or is that a lifestyle partner? lifestyle partner yeah so his scene name is red and we've been together a couple of months now um we're under a consideration period looking future long future to collaring okay so that's my relationship with him so it's hard to draw the lines when i first started sex work the lines were a lot more distinct because i felt that i needed to have physical barriers to what was work and what was play Mm -hmm. so for example i didn't kiss clients i did not let clients go down on me without protection Mm-hmm. And there were certain terms that clients weren't allowed to use with me. At that time, I was in a caregiver-type DS relationship. And at that time, I was using daddy as my lifestyle title. Okay. So clients weren't allowed to call me that. That was too personal to me. Mm-hmm. 
But as I've been in this industry longer, I've understood for myself, at least, that the barriers are much more mental than they are physical. Mm. I now do kiss clients. I do let clients go down on me and they can use whatever titles they want because in my own head, I know the difference. Yeah. I am Venus or I'm Joey because Joey is my other working name, okay. my vanilla working name. I am that person when I'm there and then I come home and within myself, I'm the real me. And I never feel drained by my, my work because they, are, they come from different wells within my body and brain. Amazing. In that I can spend all day doing pro-dom and then come home and still dom red absolutely fine because it has not come from the same reservoir. Same reason a lot of people can pro-dom even though they don't identify as a dom. And that's a thing. Well, that's a thing I want to learn more about. It's a job. And when people don't know I'm polyamorous, they're like, oh, doesn't your partner like freak out that you have sex with other men? I'm like, no, because it's a job. Yeah. If I were dating a bricklayer, I wouldn't be super mad that he laid bricks for someone else. <laughs> have you ever had a work client try to like cross boundaries or like follow you or like visit you over and over and over again or anything like that? Absolutely. I've got this, like the one that comes to mind is a client that I used to see every Friday and he was convinced that he was in love with me. Mm-hmm. Like I was seeing him at the brothel and he was every week pressuring me more and more and more to start seeing him outside of work. Mm. He was talking about flying me back to India with him to live and like all of this crap. And I had to draw that line. I'm like, dude, this is my job. And he's like, yeah, I know, but we're friends. And I was like, we're friends when you're here yeah. and you're paying for my time. And that happens over and over again, This this concept of not, I can draw the boundaries fine, but clients sometimes struggle with it. Mm. And that's understandable because of the way that we are taught that sex connects us. Mm-hmm. That he thought if we just kept seeing each other, it would morph from working relationship to personal relationship. A lot of clients have that kind of problem. They're like, you know, why don't you like me? Or would would you date me out in the real world? And like, is this, you know, something that you want to do with me every day? And it, Do you give the fantasy answer or do you, what do you do? It depends. If I'm not going to see this client again, I'll be like, God, yeah, you're exactly my type. Imagine if we'd met in a different way, yeah. you know, it, oh, it could be so different. But, you know, this is how it is. Still drawing the boundary. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. This is how it is. If I've got long-term clients, which I have a fair few, yeah. I'm blatantly obvious. I'm like, dude, you come here because I'm a hooker. I'm not your girlfriend. I love that. For example, we form like a really intimate relationship with our therapist. Yeah. We don't consider them to be our bestie. So why are we considering sex workers who we form an intimate relationship with to be our girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever or joyfriends? Probably movies because we see the hooker with the heart of gold thing and then they're a pretty woman. And we see that with therapists too. Like you see therapist relationships in movies where people are like texting and calling their therapists as if they're best friends. And I'm like, that's hmm, not correct. It's not as helpful. Yeah. I think, yeah, movies like Pretty Woman, the savior complex. So that's something that comes from a lot of my clients. That's, okay. that's a boundary I need to draw pretty early on because a lot of them, this happens daily. Every, ta- every day I work, there's one who comes out with this is like, you don't have to be doing this. What's a girl like you doing in a place like this, you know? Stop doing this. Like, you know, get out of here. I'm like, you're engaging with it for one. Yeah. So you can't think it's that bad. Yeah. There's this this quote that I always put on my Facebook where it's like, you can't shame an industry while simultaneously engaging with it. I mean, you can. It's just you're so riddled with your own shame that you're 
blinded and perhaps not enjoying your life as much as you can be. Yeah. And I'm really blunt with my clients in that when they try and say stuff like that, I'm like, no, I love what I do. Yeah. I'm here voluntarily, my dude. I have a job, you know, like I, I love I love what I do. Yeah. And I want to break down the idea that I need saving because I don't need saving. Yeah. Like I get really passionate about it because people in sex work don't necessarily need saving. And like I said before, there are some who do. Yeah. Not me. And you need to take me at my word when I say I'm happy, I'm free, I consent. I can leave whenever I want. Yeah. So what else have you learned that we haven't covered yet that has to do with social and cultural norms that you observe that has either surprised you that you like desperately want to shift? I mean, the saving thing that needs to shift. And then like, Mm -hmm. what else do you love? I love creating a safe space for clients to explore themselves. I like to create something that I wish I had had because my journey was quite rocky and a little scary to say the least. And I like to create a space that it's not scary where clients can come to me. And this happens even at like my full service job because that's not pro dom, but it's an energy. You can tell I'm a dom. People come to me and I want to be able to have that conversation about things that they'd like to try, things that they find interesting, breaking down the idea that it is scary to talk about stuff that we don't necessarily talk about in daily society. And even within the kink community, I know that there are some barriers still. And here's me putting all my cards on the table. For example, I have a specific kink that some would define as a piss kink. Now, within the community, we like to make jokes about people with piss kinks. And that's fucked up. What kind of joke? Like shamey jokes or like? Shamey jokes. Oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. I have noticed that there are certain kinks and certain things that are just not, you know, not as cool and not as hip and not as the thing that you do. And there's a lot of gatekeeping as well as to, you know, how kinky you have to be to be a kinkster. Okay. It's just so, like, because I, I run parties as well. If you're South Australia-based, hi, I run parties. Great. Somebody came to me and I was like, oh, I'm really curious and I'd like to come to your party, but, like, I'm not into, like, hardcore stuff. I just like, like, a bit of bondage and, like, a little spanking. And I'm like, okay, come along. And they're like, oh, are you sure I'm kinky enough? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. sweetheart, bless. Yeah. Yes, because there's no such thing as kinky enough. Yeah. And so that's part of my work is breaking down the idea that – you need to meet a certain criteria in order to be accepted, whether that be in sex, in relationships, in kink, in all of it, because I want to break down the idea that labels are important and that you need to be a certain thing to be acceptable. We like what we like. And so why are we putting in these boundaries on ourselves as to how we're allowed to like that and how we're allowed to engage with it? I have a guess. I think the labels exist as a shorthand because people don't want to have conversations but if we can get more comfortable culturally skipping the label and going straight to the actual conversation about desire i think that will help everyone yeah and and not just in sex but in everything about what we want exactly exactly we need to have the conversation where it's okay and i broke that down like because even my friends all my friends are kinky i I cut out anybody who doesn't accept me for all that i am Mm. does that imply that your vanilla friends don't accept all of you well some don't wow okay fuck i cut them off they're gone they're gone now so 
I've only got one or two vanilla friends left at the moment. Okay. And they are what we call kink adjacent. They're a big part of my family and they are wonderful, wonderful people who just think that it's great that I'm doing what I do. But there are certainly plenty of people who experience this othering where if it's not what they like, then it's not what anybody can like. Yeah. As I said, my group is fantastic. But when they found out I had a bladder control kink, so that's my piss kink, Mm -hmm. I'm into omarashi, which is like, for example, I do it as a punishment with Red. I force him to drink two or three litres of water over a couple of hours and then Mm -hmm. I won't let him go to the bathroom. Mm. And then I'll chain him to my shower. It's a humiliation thing. I'll chain him to my shower and be like, oh, you're a grown-ass man. You're going to wet yourself. That's pathetic. That's disgusting. You're going to clean that up. Control yourself. And initially my friends, like, made, made, took the piss out of me, pun intended. They were like, oh, you got a piss kink. And, like, every time somebody mentioned the bathroom, I'd get tagged. And I was like, you know what? No. And so I sat down with my friends. And I was like, actually, you can say what the fuck you like, but this makes me really happy. It turns me on, turns him on. And there's a huge community for it online, so it turns a lot of people on. Yeah. I will no longer accept you guys thinking it's a joke. And they were like, shit, you're right, and we've not been behaving right. Beautiful. And there was one girl who continued to do it and she got cut off. Great. Boundaries. We all cut her off because we were like, no, you can't continue. Like Venus has set this line. They've said, I don't want you to make jokes about that anymore. And they continue to do it. They got. And I think we need to do that in sex. In life. Like you said, all of life. Like, let's stop doing shit that doesn't support each other. Let's stop making room for people that don't support us. Let's stop wasting our time on shit we don't want to do. Exactly. Life is short. And I think the reason sex work is so important to me and how this relates, the sex itself is fun. I enjoy sex. I'm hypersexual and I enjoy that space. I like being a sex worker for that reason, but I also like being a sex worker for the way that it creates consent positive, a joy positive space Yeah. in that clients come to me And they let their boundaries down a little bit because they've paid for my services. They don't feel that they need to create such an archetype for themselves about what they need to like. So if they want to lick my armpits, they're like, she's a a worker. She's seen worse. They try it and they have that experience of feeling able to try those things without judgment. Aren't your armpits ticklish? The armpits I can deal with, but this alarming number of clients, and I don't say alarming in that it's bad, alarming yeah, in yeah. that I just had no idea, yeah. who are really into, like, licking my belly button and, like, putting their tongue in my belly button. I'm not into that. I've never had anyone ask me about that, or that's never come up before. Wow. Do they like to spit in it? Is it, like, slobbery, or what does it feel like? They like to go down on it like it's almost like my pussy. And that's so interesting to me because I'm like, what are you getting out of this? And like, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'll make the noises and everything because they're obviously enjoying it and I want them to feel safe. Do you wash your belly button extra because of this? Because I'm like, oh shit, is my belly button dirty? Probably. I don't know. It's deep. I have a deep belly button. That's a sentence. I have a deep (laughs) belly button. And like, I I shower between every single booking and, you know, I do pay extra attention to things like my armpits and my belly button because the chances of people exploring my body in that way are higher than they would be outside of that space. Totally. And it makes me wonder, I've never had a private person, so I've never had somebody in my personal life lick my belly button. Yeah. But here's the question, have they wanted to? Yes. That's what I was just wondering. Yeah. Maybe they just haven't felt comfy. Oh my God. Oh, that's so cool. I'd also like to know what shifts 
have you noticed, aside from becoming kinkier, which we talked about, inside of yourself since you started this work? I am more passionate about my body. And trigger warning, again, I am full of triggers today, but I had a pretty nasty eating disorder when I was a teenager. Oh, shit. I kind of pinpointed that my self-worth was valued on my appearance and all that I could offer to society was my body. And I got down to ridiculous weights. I was eating 200 calories a day. Oh, fuck. And I was down to about 45 kilos, which I don't know what that is in pounds, but it was like around the 100 mark kind of point or under. And that was something that really still to this day plays into my identity and the way that I present my body. But moving into sex work, and this is, you know, more superficial than some of the, oh my God, creating a safe space stuff that I've been talking about, but it does make me feel desirable Mm. in that I might not be the cookie cutter that mass media tells me that I need to look like in order to be a sexy woman. I got stretch marks. I'm plus size. I, you know, for those not looking at me, I'm like a size 14 Australian, which is like a size 10 American. You know, I'm covered in tattoos. I have short hair, whatever breaking down the idea that sexy does fit that mold because while in mass media it does in my actual experience as a sex worker it does not there is always always a man who wants to book me yep every time and there are girls twice my size that there is always a man that wants to book them there are girls a quarter of my size there is always a man that wants to book them yep and while my self-worth is not founded on the validation of those around me It has helped me to see externally how sex and sexuality and being sexy is so divergent and that no matter what you look like, there is something out there, somebody who's into that, Yeah, you know, into your belly button. They're into the belly button. Your deep (laughs) belly button is somebody's fetish, you know? (laughs) Okay, here's a question for you. If you could wave a magic wand and teach everyone in the world something about sex, what would it be? What you like is fine. What you like is normal because there's no there's no normal. Yeah. There's no such thing. Whatever is pleasurable to you is pleasurable to you and we need to stop questioning why it is or whether it's okay that it is. The only time that what you're into is not okay is if it affects somebody else without their consent. Correct. I really am just, I'm sad in my line of work seeing over and over again people feeling guilty or shamed yeah. or shy about the things that they enjoy for fear of rejection you know it's not just that you know society wise but somebody will come to me and be like they're scared that if they tell me what they like I'm not going to be into them anymore like if they tell me what they like and it's an absolute like it's a thing that they cannot go without and it's a thing that I absolutely am not into then I might say actually we can't do this but I'm still not judging right vanilla sex Exactly. For the most part, when people exactly <laughs> when people come to me with a fetish or something or something they want to try, if it's not my thing, I'll just be like, okay, either I'm willing to try that or I'm really not into that. But hey, if there's anything I can do, like let's talk about other ways that we can engage with it yeah. that we do enjoy. And it's about setting boundaries where we're comfortable exploring those things with each other without any judgment. Yeah. Any judgment. I'm so sick of judgment and I just want people to enjoy what they enjoy don't feel that you need to meet any mold whether that be the mold from your parents the mold from mass media the mold from society in general and what capitalism sells to you just do what makes you feel good and whatever feeling good is 
that doesn't necessarily mean orgasms. That doesn't necessarily mean pleasure. Whatever makes you feel good about yourself, whatever makes you feel good in yourself, and whatever you enjoy doing, do it. What's the silliest shame-related experience you have encountered through your work? I mean, there's plenty of silly things. And the most common one and the one that jumps to mind is clients apologizing for coming too fast. Mm. I like to try and pull that back and debate that and be like, well, first of all, if it's a pro-dom client, I actually have a premature ejaculation kink. So I'll just be like, I'm into it. Great. (laughs) But when it's other clients, I like to just sit down and be like, well, actually you coming fast means that I'm doing my job really well. It means that you find me really hot or that this was a really pleasurable experience for you. And I'm like, but there are tons of things that we can do, even though you've already had an orgasm. Maybe in 10 minutes, you'll want to do it again. Yeah. Maybe you want a massage. Maybe yeah. you want to see what it's like to pleasure me. Yeah. And it's so silly when they're like, oh, no, I'm going to come. I'm sorry. Like, oh, dear, you're going to have pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, it's so dumb. But yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Because there's, you know, even in sex marketing, sex toy marketing, it's last longer in bed. Yeah. And I don't want to be railed for an hour straight. No. Ten minutes is enough. And if it's two minutes, that's also fine. Totally. Because we can work around that. And if I was in a relationship with somebody who came very quickly like that and I wanted more for myself before that happened, we would negotiate that. Totally. We'd go, here's the kinds of floor pay we can do that are not going to tip you over, but we're both going to enjoy And I do that with clients too, because I don't want there to be shame associated with orgasms. Beautiful. How do you hope your work is making the world a sexier place? I feel like it's, you know, as I've been saying, I hope that my work is making the world a sexier place by creating safe places to explore. By putting money on the table, it breaks down an alarming amount of barriers that I didn't think it would, you know. Because people are no longer trying to woo me or impress me or be what I'm looking for. Because they've paid, they go, okay, I can be a bit more open here mm-hmm. about what I want. I'm paying for a service. Yeah. Like if your mate does your hair for you for free, you're a bit less harsh about the criticism. But if you've paid a hairdresser good money to do your hair and it looks like shit, you're going to be more critical and you're going to have feedback. And that's what sex work is to me, Yeah. is creating a space where we can have a conversation and have feedback without fear of rejection. And I'm hoping that by creating that space in the sex industry, that I can then create it in the rest of the world, that slowly but surely that will trickle out into the world and we'll no longer have these sanctioned ideas about what sex needs to look like. We're just going to have a safe space where we can talk about it. And that's why I do it. That's why I'll continue to do it. It's why I run What the Kink because I want people to talk about what they like, what they don't like, what other people like, and why it's okay to like those things. Yeah. And that we're not deeply psychologically fucked up for liking certain things, that we just do. And, you know, psychologists have looked at this and we have different brain synapses and reasons that we like these, but at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter why we like these. As long as it's not harming anybody, then fuck yeah, safe space. Let's talk about it. Fuck yeah. Okay, lastly... What advice would you give to a person who shares your goal of making the world a sexier, more loving place where people talk about all of these things and that person wants to do something like make a mobile dungeon and start by going around first 
America because she lives there and then maybe the whole world or get other people to do mobile dungeons on other continents. But she's not a dominatrix at this point. What would your advice to that person be? I would tell your friend that... It's me. Uh, it's me. I'm the person. I know. I know. I know you're the person. I would tell your friend to take ownership of what it is that they want to do and try and break free of the idea that you need to fit a certain mold to do that thing. Mm. That you need to be a dominatrix to run a mobile dungeon. Okay, so I actually do want to pick your brain about this in a very tangible way. I've been like practice pitching using the word mobile dungeon. And by practice pitching, I mean like I'm talking to people in the film industry. I'm talking to people in sex industries. And I'm using the phrase mobile dungeon because I think it's a really clear idea for like what I imagine will be like a motorhome, maybe a semi truck that expands. I don't know. But like some vehicle that is outfitted with all of the toys. But I think the word dungeon scares vanilla people. And I want to invite Mm. everyone. And so I'm just planting the seed for this future noodle to grow together because I want to train to be a dominatrix somehow so that I can have all the skills that I think comes with holding space in that way. But I don't know. What do you think? Dungeons are the space where all the toys are. I love the concept. And before I get into, you know, the way to market and label something like that so that it's palatable for the most amount of people and you're attracting the right audiences, you use that term holding space and what it means to hold space. So I am a classic youth millennial. I'm like the bottom of the millennial tree. And I therefore spend an alarming amount of time on TikTok. This Mm -hmm. has a point, I promise. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of the most popular, the most outspoken, the most highly regarded and well-paid kink talk, which is the kink side of TikTok, identities are submissives. Oh, really? I need to get on TikTok. Uh Uh-huh. You do. I just got on TikTok. I need to, like, actually go use it. All right. I'm going to do some research. Yeah. So I just want you to, within yourself, and, you know, I can't tell you what holding space means for you. And, hey, if you want to learn about being a dom, I'm your bitch. But try and break down within yourself the concept that you have to be a dom in order to hold space in that way. I think it could even be more palatable to people wanting to engage with a quote-unquote mobile dungeon for the submissive to be the one running it Yeah, because they can then go, what does that feel like? What's this experience like? Tell me how I might feel. And obviously, even if you did lean into a dom space, you'd still have that experience under your belt. And that's something that personally, as a dom, I do as well. I like to try everything that my I'm going to do to my subs. I like yeah. to, to my best of my abilities, try it on myself. Yeah. I see it more as like, I have the submissive skill. I want to add the dom skill in case I come across someone who wants to try out being a submissive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think you need to look down the space of service topping. Mm-hmm. My most recent ex, wonderful, wonderful man, goes by Shade. Hi, I know you listen to this, Bobby. For him, he is submissive through and through. Mm. Absolutely. He is not a switch. Mm-hmm. However, he's mm-hmm. a fantastic top. Yeah. I want to be a bottom who tops. I want to get the skill. Yeah. He wants to do it to serve other people. Yeah, that's what I want. He has dated other submissives in the past before. And oh. people look at him and go, how the fuck do you date other submissives? He's like, because I top them because that's what they want me to do. Mm. Okay catering to the different needs of different partners without switching up our identities is something that we can definitely work around yeah and I think for you exploring service topping like Shade did is definitely 
up your alley, doing it for the intention of pleasing that other person because they want to be topped. Mistress Venus, you seem like a genius. Where can people find you on the internet? The best place to find me is through my podcast. I've been working on What the King for a year. We are a sex work, BDSM, fetish, and ethical non-monogamy podcast. We talk about all of these things. We talk about kink and disability, kink and gender roles, kink in society and media, as well as getting in, like we did a two-part episode on needle play and what you need to know and how to do it and all of that stuff. So it's a really fun place to start and a really safe place to start if you want to learn a bit more about the world that I move in. So it's called What the Kink. You can find it on most major podcast hosts. So Spotify is where I tend to send people because it's the easiest. If you just look up What the Kink, you'll find it there. Our social medias are linked in all the show notes. But if you want to find me on social media at What the Kink Podcast is the tend to be. So Twitter is where I'm most active. That's at What the Kink Pod. Facebook's What the Kink Podcast. And if you wanted to get in touch with an email, perhaps you want to meet me in person or perhaps you, you know, want to talk about sex work as a client, I have a, a Gmail and that's mistress.venus.adl at gmail.com. That's where I, you know, respond to all my podcasts and work and that, that's my work email. And I'm a person that likes to have these conversations. So if you're hazarding whether or not you should reach out, what is the absolute worst thing that can happen? So reach out. Find me, follow the podcast, share it with your friends, create this safe space for us to talk about it. Podcasts like Sex at Work, like Sex Stories, like What the Kink, they break down the boundaries and they make it a safer place for us all to enjoy ourselves. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Mistress Venus. Lovers, that is this week's episode of Sex at Work. Please remember to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and be a lover who makes the world a sexier place by leaving us five stars and or a thumbs up and a nice comment wherever you can. Remember to spread love with Mistress Venus's pod, What the Kink, and you can follow them on Twitter at What the Kink Pod. If you'd like to hear personal sex stories from lovers around the world, go listen to sex stories wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to listen to more of my personal details, questions, or portraits, visit yolee.com slash lover. You don't listen to the portraits, you can look at portraits. Anyway. For merch and more ways to support or to share your sex work-related stories, visit sexstoriespodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sexstoriespod and follow me at YOD. Sex at Work is a creation by me, YOD, with editing by the amazing Kimberly Loftus. Remember, curious questions make the world a sexier place, so keep finding ways to get curious with each other. Let me know how it goes, and remember to make and share sex stories. 